a little bit. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark. We're starting chapter 5 this morning, a very familiar story. And I entitled the sermon, What It Really Is Right Here, A Merciful God's Divine Rescue. See, Mark's writing a testimony of the account of Jesus' life here on earth. And he continually points to Christ's divinity and the faithlessness of people. His stories and the, the, the episodes that he chose to write down clearly demonstrate those two points. And at this point in the book, Mark is continually showing that Jesus has the power to take a hopeless situation, whether it's a storm on a sea or demoniac's possession, and deliver that soul from hell. Deliver us from the dangers that are there. Like Psalm 70 talked about, David wrote there. So a demon-possessed man this morning gets his hopeless world redeemed by the Savior. So let's read this passage together, starting with verse 1 of chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside. And people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this wonderful story of deliverance, this historical account of a man being so possessed that he could break chains and he could cut himself and 
He could scream so loud it scared people miles around. And you delivered him. Help us to see this morning how we have been delivered and what we should be doing about it. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we had the storm last week. They're crossing the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes up, and it just scares the disciples to death. And Jesus intentionally crosses this lake, one, for the storm lesson, and two, to intentionally meet this guy, meet this demoniac. He went over there, and he delivered him, and he commissioned him to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. This is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where Palestine is, where the Jews are. So the population over there is Gentiles, which is everybody but Jews, if you need to know the definition. So anyone whom the Son of God delivers is sent to tell the good news, to tell what happened to them. So how did Jesus create this herald for the kingdom of God right here? Well, he performed three actions on this guy or for this guy and delivered his soul for the gospel. First, Jesus confronts the demons, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read this again <clears throat> with maybe some clarifying notes as I go. They came to the other side of the sea. This is after the storm. They came to the shore, to the region of Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus Son of the Most High God, I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. So Jesus arrives on the eastern shore of the Lake of Galilee, and it's a region called the region of the Gerasenes, um, Matthew and Luke have this same story, and they both have a different name, kind of a few letters different. The problem is we don't know exactly where this happened. There's a little village that they have dug up in archaeology called Kursi, K-U-R-S-I, and they believe that's probably the spot because it's in the region that would be called Gerasenes, and it's got a field and a cliff into the Sea of Galilee really close. Now, our bus driver, when I was touring Israel, he stopped at this place where he thought, they thought the, this had happened. And, of course, now the cliff is a little more rounded off because of time and, and rain. But this is where they think that this could have happened. So it's really hard to put exactly your finger on it. We do know this. It was in Gentile territory. It was in an area that was conquered by the Romans, conquered by the Greeks at one point in time. It was Gentiles. It wasn't a Jewish area, which explains why there was pigs present. So the man was possessed and he was controlled by demons. You know, he still got his own consciousness, but he can't control himself. He's being led and, and manipulated. And when he sees Jesus coming ashore from the tombs that were supposedly in these cliffs and some of these cliffs nearby, he runs to Jesus. He runs to Jesus because he thinks he can bully Jesus. He thinks he can, you know, confront him. It's kind of like the, the best defense is a good offense in his mind. And so he's coming to confront and bully Jesus. The, de 
the demons have tormented this man. And I say that this man is probably going through what most people will go through when they spend eternity in hell. Just constantly being tormented and knowing you're being tormented. I mean, verses 3 through 5 really capture what's been going on in this man's life. And nobody knows how long this has been going on for this guy. But long enough that he's been exiled to these tombs, long enough that he's always naked, according to uh, Matthew or Luke's account. He's constantly being uh, controlled by these demons. He displayed superhuman strength to break shackles and chains. And and somebody has tried to say, well, they probably didn't have as good a chains as we do. That's not the point. Any metal can't be broken by human hands usually um, if if it's a chain like thing. So it was obvious that he had broken something very supernaturally. Um, he couldn't be bound. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. They could get enough people to tie him down. They wanted to control him because he was scaring them. And uh, he screamed constantly, like, like you would expect that kind of agony to scream. Just tormented. I was going to scream really loud, but I don't want to scare anybody. But he would cut himself. He would take rocks. Now, if you've ever been cut by a rock, it is not a fun thing. It's tearing. It's not really cutting. You know, I've been cut by a razor blade. I very, very rarely feel it. You know, it's like then it starts bleeding. But to be cut by a rock, but he was doing this because the demons wanted him to do it. Now, understand this. The demons were not trying to kill the man because that would be defeating the whole point of possessing the man. They want to torture him. They just want to torture him, and they want the whole region to know he's being tortured. And Satan is real, and Satan is something you should fear. That's what they were after. So they weren't trying to make him commit suicide. He was this plague on this community. I mean, they, they were fed up with him. They didn't know what to do with him. So the demons now rush up to Jesus, and they're trying to bully Jesus by using his name and his title. Jesus, son of the most high God. There was a demon earlier in Mark that used the same phrase. Because they know who Jesus is. And they shudder. <laughs> because they run up to him thinking they're going to bully Jesus, and immediately they drop to their knees. They're not doing it because they're worshiping Jesus. They're doing it because they have to, because they know who Jesus is, the creator of the universe. He is going to be worshiped in a, in a knee-bowing way in some form or fashion. And they requested mercy from Jesus. Don't torment us, Jesus. But they're not willing to give it to that guy. It's so ironic. They requested mercy from God as they tormented this man mercilessly. They never gave him mercy. They never gave him a break. Day and night, always, screaming and crying. So Jesus commands them to get out, but they kind of want to negotiate that a little bit. Now, they're going to come out. Jesus has told them to get out. But Jesus gives them a little room. He interacts with them for the sake of this testimony, for the sake of us understanding and maybe learning a little bit about demon possession and what's going on. So he asked him his name, Legion. A legion is and a military unit of 6,000 soldiers. Now, I don't believe there were 6,000 demons in this guy because they use this phrase afterwards, we are many. So it was kind of a general term, probably used to kind of scare, try to scare Jesus. We're 6,000 strong. Jesus knew better. I think there are about 2,000 maybe because of the pigs, but that's another side note. But the demons used this man's voice 
and begged not to be cast into the abyss. That's what they're meaning when they say, don't cast us out of this region. Don't cast us into the abyss, into the holding cell that Satan and his demons will be cast into at the end of time and held until God judges them. They don't want to go there early. They don't know when Jesus is supposed to return, but they know it's not yet because he's, this is his first uh, time on earth. So don't throw us into the abyss of judgment, basically. To hold us there. They want, this is another irony. They wanted their freedom. They wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do. Regardless of what this man was going to, you know, what they've been given this man. Satan's always like this. He's always like this. He's always promising you something, then he takes it away from you. He's always talking with a forked tongue, as they say. He's always got a double standard. He's always like this. They wouldn't give this man freedom, but they wanted freedom. They wanted freedom to do what they want. So Jesus had met them with intentions to cast them out of the man, and they knew that, and, and he was going to pull that off in a moment. You ever met someone who wants special treatment but not willing to give it to anybody else? Well, that's exactly what we're seeing here in the demons. Jesus deals with these demons who are trying to bully him to their will, and that's not going to happen. Because you've got to remember one thing, who this is, who Jesus is. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, Satan's domain, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2. That's who they're standing before or kneeling before now. So they're not going to bully him. Now, from a, from a standpoint of application this morning, demon possession is not near as common as it was back then. Matter of fact, during the church age we're living in right now, I believe Satan's kind of bound or restricted a little bit by the Holy Spirit being present in us. But sometimes he is allowed to possess people. And I've heard missionaries talk about you know, exorcisms that go on on the mission field um, and, and not the, the crazy Hollywood version. It's usually just kind of the convulsion, the realization that this person is, is being controlled by somebody else or something else. So it's not as often, but it's just one of the many tactics that Satan likes to use to scare and discourage souls from trusting God. See, he's, he's all about getting your eyes off of God, getting your eyes off of Jesus. That's what he's all about. So this is just one of the tactics. And, and, it's, and it's probably so obvious that people it's not one he would use very often because it's just not as effective you know what the greatest trick satan ever did convincing the world that he doesn't exist that's the greatest trick he's ever done convincing the world that there's no devil there's no boogeyman there's no satan you don't have to fear him so you don't have to worry about religion you don't have to worry about your eternal soul there's no such thing as hell we're all going to live in euphoria nirvana Anyway, that's, that's his greatest trick. Yet we often, as Christians, we often allow ourselves to be captured by him. Not in the same way that this guy was, but our own lusts, our own desires, our own rebellion against what God wants. All of us were held by Satan's schemes before we met the deliverer. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been delivered like this guy. You weren't held quite like this guy. You weren't in that kind of grip, but you were doing your own thing. We, we eagerly sought to rebel against God. That's what we were all doing before we became Christians. We were rebelling 
against God. We were doing our own thing. And that's what these demons are trying to ask Jesus. Hey, can we go to the pigs kind of thing? So as a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be possessed by a, a demon, okay? Because you can't have the demons and the Holy Spirit in the same soul, okay? So you cannot be possessed by a demon. So put that in, in your, your, your bag of facts and hang on to it. But we can still be influenced by them, very much influenced. See, we choose our own paths many times. We seek our selfish rights. We're entitled. We seek our selfish We forget Sometimes that our soul is saved to live differently. To live not for ourselves, but God. Remember what James wrote in, in James chapter 1. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's the order. And, and our, our sinful desires are still there waging war with the Spirit. So we need to daily give our, our own personal selfish desires up. We need to daily do that. Give up our behaviors of seeking our own thing and seek to live the way Jesus lived, the way Jesus treated people. Genuine love. The two commandments, love God, love people. That's a great place to start. And they're the best ways to stifle Satan's schemes and his desire to bully you. So Jesus meets the demons in the man. And then he proceeds to rid the man of the demons. Jesus delivers the man. Look at 11 through 15. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. I just find that so funny. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. How ironic. So the demons will choose the pigs over the abyss. Now, that's because they didn't really know what they were asking. Jesus really doesn't negotiate. He's not negotiating them a lesser sentence, okay? So don't think Jesus is negotiating with the demons. He's not. Jesus is letting them have what they want because he knows what the outcome is going to be. What is the outcome? They go to the abyss, abyss after all. The pigs run down the hill, drown themselves. Demons have nowhere else to go but to the abyss. So they're, they're exiled now to the end of time. Praise Jesus. We don't have to worry about those 2,000 demons. But pigs don't make a great possessed person. They don't have a soul. Now, I know some of you gonna, animal rights lovers might argue with me, but... Animals don't have souls. They can't trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't have souls. So pigs don't have the souls. The, 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 the demons were desiring to ruin and reign over this person's soul to keep them from seeking God. They, they desired to discourage. They desired to create fear. But pigs don't make that great of a 
a demon possession. So the herdsmen, they left the scene to report. I mean, here they are. They're responsible for 2,000. Have you been around 2,000 pigs? I've never been around 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs. I can't even imagine the smell. And they're responsible for them, and they're gone. They're all floating in the, the Sea of Galilee. And I'm sure they were harvested out of there and slaughtered, but that was a lot of pigs to slaughter at once. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, capitalism going on because the market had too much pork. But anyway, so they gathered up, but people come out to see the great pig slaughter of 30 A.D. They want to see what in the world happened. You're telling us about pigs. That's what the guys went to town to tell everybody. 2,000 pigs just ran down the cliff and drowned. They didn't go to tell him about them about the man. They said, 2,000 pigs just ran down the hill and drowned. And when the people arrived, boy, were they surprised. Here's this plague on their community. Here's this guy who screams and shouts and, and cuts himself, and he's just been exiled to the tombs. Here he is, delivered. Delivered. Jesus delivered him. He now sits. He doesn't run around. He's not constantly in a frenzy. He's not having convulsions. He's not picking up rocks, looking for sharp rocks to cut himself. He's sitting. He's dressed. Praise the Lord. Matthew or Luke records that he ran around naked most of the time. Couldn't keep clothes on him. And he speaks in his right mind. Sort of reminds you of the prodigal son, doesn't it? His drastic and dramatic change, though, caused fear in the people. See if we can understand that a little bit. So this kind of power of deliverance that they just saw, this kind of power of deliverance put their hearts in a terror. They were terrified. They looked only to the impact that was on them. If, if he's strong enough to deliver this man from whatever possessed him, and I remember, these are Gentiles. They have pagan beliefs. They don't have the Jewish one God and one devil kind of thing. They've got all kinds of ideas. But they're like, if he could have that kind of impact on this one man, what could he do to us? That's probably what they were thinking. What's the impact on us? They weren't worried about this guy who's now dressed and sitting in there and in his right mind. They didn't care. They cared about only them. I mean, so great of a miracle this is, it should have testified to them God Almighty was there. I mean, just like the storm calmed and the disciples are like, who is this? And they stuck with it, and they said, well, I don't know exactly. I don't understand it completely, but I'm sticking around. These guys were, this town and these people were afraid, and they weren't willing to accept it. And they missed, and they couldn't see the power in the human being, that, in a human being being trustworthy, and they missed the fact that Jesus was not just human. He was God as well. God delivered the man from the worst fate of human existence. Trust me, this is would be a terrible way to, to exist. And their reaction was purely selfish. What could this do to us? Just as they treated him before, they were selfish about what, the way they were going to treat him now. You know, we sometimes think there are people that can't be saved. I know we say we don't a lot of times, but I mean, let me tell you, Satan worshipers have been saved by grace through faith. Drug dealers, human traffickers, pedophiles, murderers, prostitutes, pimps. They've all been saved at some point. Somebody has been saved that was in those lifestyles by the grace of God Almighty through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's happened. They've been delivered from hell. Like this man, they were not beyond hope. 
Because like Jesus said, nothing is impossible with God. We don't know how it happens. We don't know how somebody can be changed like that. We don't completely understand it. We just know it's happened to us, and we need to believe that it can happen to others. Even the people who crucified Jesus can be saved. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Peter's Pentecostal sermon. And they ask, what do we do? These are the people who took Jesus to the cross and nailed him there. Had the Romans nail him on a cross. These are the people who said, Jesus is not the Messiah. Peter's saying, believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and you will be saved. And they did. 3,000 of them at least. Praise the Lord. So I mentioned earlier that we find ourselves in this kind of gripping by Satan. Satan sometimes has gripped us, and we find ourselves in this same predicament with this guy. We're not necessarily possessed, but we're trapped by our sinful desires sometimes. We're, we were, at one point, trapped by the curse of death with no hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ. So when we hear the truth about Jesus and the Holy Spirit awakens our souls to believe, we become people in our right mind. I mean, that's what we could say. Just like I said, the prodigal son, he kind of came to his senses when he was eating pig slop. It's funny, the pig and pig connection there. Yet sometimes we forget that what he did for us, he can do for others. We forget that sometimes. We, we may see somebody and think, I don't know, man. I don't know, what I, what I, I don't know if I could say anything that would convince them. It's like, well, you don't have to convince them. It's up to God. We all know people who have be behaved far worse but really did they in God's eyes sin is sin the consequences may be different the repercussions may be different in our society but in God's eyes sin is sin all have fallen short of the glory of God we judge them by human standards how bad it was how how disruptive how severe of evil it was God doesn't see it that way he just sees a soul that's turned away from him that's not following him that's not trusting his son and we sometimes assume or we presuppose or we think, God can't save them. We need to forget that thought. That thought is not true. And that's what Satan would want you to believe out of this. But in God's eyes, we've all fallen short of his righteousness. All of us have turned from God at some point in our life. And, and when he saves us, we've turned now to God by his power. God delivers anyone he chooses. And no sin, no evil, no crime is beyond his forgiveness. Even those who killed Jesus could be forgiven. Even those who crucified God's son, God will forgive and did forgive. So God delivers souls from the curse of death and the corruption of Satan in our lives. That's what he does. And he does it by Jesus Christ, his son. So we need to believe it. And we need to believe it not just for ourselves, but for anybody. It could happen to anybody. We don't need to pick and choose. We don't, we don't get to be inspectors. We don't, we're not soil inspectors like the parable of soils. We need to believe it. So Jesus met the demons, and he delivers the man from their grasp. Now what? Well, deliverance was for the kingdom's work. Jesus ordains the man to preach. Jesus didn't send him to seminary. Jesus didn't say, you need to follow me, and we need to mentor you a little bit. He, he said, you're ready. Go home. 
and do that. Let's read these verses. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not hard to do. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. The people of that region rejected Jesus flat out. They rejected his message. They rejected his salvation. They didn't want anything to do with him. Their fear and their, their self-preservation kept them from understanding what had actually happened. They kept them from understanding the truth that had just happened right before their eyes. So they begged Jesus to leave. And you and I go, wow, I can't believe that. Many times we beg Jesus sometimes to leave us alone. But that's a sermon for another time. But this kind of happens every time someone rejects the gospel. They're asking Jesus to leave them alone, to leave them. And it's a sad day when people see the might of our Savior but refuse his salvation. And they walk away from those conversations. They walk away from those opportunities. But we leave it in the Lord's hands. But this man, oh, oh, what a story. This man is delivered and given a new mission in life. I mean, his whole existence is to sit naked in the tombs and cut himself and scream. That's all he's been doing. And every time they come to try to subdue him, he fights them all off. That's his whole existence. That's all he's doing. Day in, day out, all night. And now he's got a new mission. He followed Jesus and he begged him, oh, I've got a savior. I'm, I want to go with you. Man, I want to go with you because these people don't love me. They've asked you to leave and you delivered me. But Jesus had a better plan and he always does. We sometimes forget that. He, he basically says, go to the people who know you, to the ones you can connect with, and tell them what happened. Go reconnect with your family and friends, those you may have offended, those you may have alienated by your behavior in the past. Go to them. Speak to them about the mercy and the grace that Jesus has shown you. So, he did what he was told. How refreshing. <laughs> he did what he was told. He went to the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is just a Greek word for ten cities. There were ten cities scattered about, not real close together, but they were in a region. So the region of Decapolis has ten cities. There, it's east of the Jordan, all Gentiles. And he told them about his deliverance. And I am sure most people in that area had heard about this guy. You know? You heard about that guy over there in Gerasenes? Whew, man, screams, cuts himself with rocks. So he did what he was told and went and told them about his deliverance. And what's the result? Amazement. They're amazed and they're listening to what he said. And the reason we know they're listening because in, in Mark 6.53 and in Mark 7.31 and in Mark 8.10... Jesus goes to these regions, some of these Gentile regions, and crowds come out and are amazed and wanting to listen to Jesus. And I believe it's because of this guy's testimony. I believe he made a difference. He was a, a, a Billy Graham to those people, just shouting out to as big a crowd as he could probably gather. 
This is what my Jesus did for me. You ever had good news and you couldn't tell anybody? It's kind of hard, isn't it? It's really not good news until you share it. It really isn't. We may call it good news, but it's like, I got good news. And they're like, what is it? I can't tell you. And they're like, well, how do we know it's good? You know it's good. You think it's good. Good news is meant to be shared. Paul really deliberates this in Romans chapter 10. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. He was sent. This man was sent. He had a new mission. He had a new lease on life. He had some great news to tell everybody. And people going, no, I can't be that guy. That, that's not the guy that was in the tombs. Oh, yeah, I was there. So this, this man remembered the torment of his soul. And now that he was delivered, he could tell everybody about it. The question for us this morning, has Satan got your lips sealed? Have you forgotten what God did for you, what Christ did for you? The deliverance of your soul? Maybe not near as dramatic as this guy, but I wouldn't want to have this dramatic one. This was pretty bad, what he had to put up with beforehand. But when we hold our tongue about Jesus, we are really disobeying Jesus. Jesus said, go, tell your, go home, tell your folks, and he did. And we see the results of it. Hopefully, I pray, that people can see a difference in you. They can hear a difference in you, the way you talk, the way you treat people. They can see a change that you live differently, you react differently, you treat others differently. Most of us probably didn't have, like I said, this obvious of a change, but we have been changed. Even if you were saved as a small child, you have been changed. Your life is different. And you don't need a dramatic testimony. You just need a testimony that Jesus has saved your soul. And then once he's done that, you are ordained, you and me both are ordained to proclaim that message to anybody we can get to listen to us. To tell others about the eternal life found only in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When Christ returns or calls us home, will he find us faithful to this calling? I hope so. I hope we're all trying to find a way to talk about Jesus to those around us. He left us here for that purpose. He didn't save you just to, and then left you here just to kind of coast or just to enjoy the, the earth, although that's nice. He left you here to tell someone, just like he did this man. So go to the world, whether it's across the ocean or across the street. Go to the world. Find somebody to talk to and tell somebody what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus met this demon-possessed man and all the demons, and he delivered this man, and then he gave him a new mission, a new ordination to go to the world. A merciful rescue by God must lead to people sharing it. That's the whole reason we've been rescued, to share it. If you got rescued to a boat after almost drowning in the ocean and there was a, a life preserver on a rope there, you would throw it to the next person out there. You wouldn't try to, oh, wow, I'm glad I'm on the boat. You would want to help people. That's what evangelism is, and that's what God's called us to do. So go this week. 
maybe not this week, as much as you can. Go and look for somebody. Find someone that you think, I'm not sure God can save that person. And tell them about Jesus and see what happens. If nothing else, you're being faithful to the calling because the results are not up to us. We're just called to tell people. Jesus didn't say, go and get a whole bunch of people to believe in me. He said, go tell them. The Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. That's what we should be doing. God might use your words as a spark for their soul. And even if not, like I said, you've been faithful to the calling. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this man's life and example. And I thank you for delivering him from that torment, from that pain, from that anguish. I thank you that he has received his reward and he is secure in heaven and he is with you. And I thank you for that opportunity we all have. I pray that we can be faithful to that calling because we have such a great salvation you have blessed us with. We must go to the nations. We must tell people about your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, listen, believer. If you've been, radic if you've been radically changed, a new heart that takes the power of God, you need to go tell someone. If you want to become a, a full partner in our church, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. And if you think you can't, Jesus can't help you, he can if you want to know how, come talk to me. If you want to know how his death, burial, and resurrection can lead you to the kind of change that this man experienced, come talk to me. I'd love to tell you about it. Let's stand and sing our closing song.